this is Top Quality Faith Ministries podcast, a multicultural global church mandated by God the Father to love and to serve as an instrument of the body of Christ. This is the house where God builds top quality faith in his people. Wherever you are listening from, we pray that you are blessed by today's message. This call is being recorded. Did he join? Hello. Did your dad join? Mm-hmm. Hello. Oh, hey, sick and shut in. Oh. <laughs> we haven't heard your voice. I didn't think you were getting online today. I have to set my alarm. Oh. Hmm. I would say that's what senior citizens do, but I'm catching up with you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, if you can okay. pray us in, please. <laughs> Good evening, family. Um, Did it too much oh, okay. All right. Pastor, 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 pastor. <laughs> Uh, Father God, we come humble before your throne tonight. We thank you, Father God, for your blessing, for your mercy, your grace, and your love. I thank you, Father God, for being for sending your angels, for anointing the surgeons, for my procedure of two weeks ago, for the healing, the recovery. I thank you for my today, my yesterdays. And I thank you for this year, Father God. I only reflect upon I could have been better, but you're not done with me yet, Father God. As we go into Bible study, Father God, I call on you to be present to anoint each and every one of your creations that are on this call tonight. Father God, to just anoint their salvation, their faith, resonate in their heart, Take stock of their mind and have your way and let you be in control of this. There's so much to reflect upon, Father God, that it would take up whatever window or time slot that the pastor has for Bible study tonight, but we all have a reason for giving you the glory. But Father God, let your presence be present in our studies tonight that we all participate and contribute. And let it be an edification to each and every one of us that we just share the love and your grace quick to listen and slow to speak. 
forever give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys were in Luke 9. Let me make sure it's Luke 9 and not 10. Hold on. You mean Mark 9? Okay. Let me just make sure where I was reading. Sometimes my mind be looking at other stuff too. Uh, it was, excuse me, John 9. I'm sorry. And the Enduring Bible. But I really want to preface this and set it up so that you guys can see what he's saying to us. And with the hopes that we all will begin to respond according to his will moving forward. Have you guys ever been walking down the street or in the mall or somewhere and you stop to look at a person that could have been uh, bent over or could be blind or whatever the case may be, or you see something that's going on in a family and you question to yourself, like, why is that? You know, Lord, why did that happen? And you turn around and you literally just like look at it and you have, you know, a question or a thought in your mind, but it doesn't go answered by the Lord. The Lord doesn't answer it because it's just you looking at it from a standpoint to where you're questioning something because it doesn't make sense in your own mind. And so a lot of times I see things and and it doesn't make sense in my mind. Um, I don't know if any of you guys ever been standing outside and it's this uh, Asian couple that walked by in the older, um, there's an older gentleman and he's crouched over, meaning that he, he can't even hold his back up straight. And I can tell they're coming from church or something because they're walking together and it's every Sunday that you would see the two. And you would thinking, I would think in my mind, I always see him like, Lord, why is that person not healed? Or what's going on that he hasn't received the healing that is necessary? And I stare at him. You know? So what I'm literally saying to you guys is let's dive in the scripture so you can see what he's saying to us. I think it will be very enlightening to all of us. So Precious, you want to go ahead and read it? Okay. Um, this is John 9. The title of it is <clears throat> Jesus Gives Sight to a Man Born Blind. The man is healed. The disciples ask a question. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Can somebody mute their... Um, I'm just going to start over. Um, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? As Jesus passed by. The previous chapter ending, as Jesus passed by, those who wanted to stone him, considering Jesus guilty of blasphemy, John continues the account, noting now Jesus passed by a man 
who was blind from birth. The sense of the flow of the text is that Jesus was not shaken or disturbed by the almost deadly confrontation with the religious leaders that just happened. We find him calm and self-possessed, acting with the profound disregard of his enemies and their hatred. Jesus was often reviled, but never ruffled. One of the things worthy to be noticed in our Lord's character is his wonderful quiet of spirit, especially his marvelous calmness in the presence of those who misjudged and insulted and slandered him. The blind man was sitting begging, possibly proclaiming the fact of having been so born, for otherwise the disciples could hardly have asked the following question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The Let disciples- me stop you right there. Mm -hmm. So trying to get you guys to really see that what he's literally saying Number one, you can see that in the prior chapter, there was a confrontation where they were seeking to stone him and uh, he walked straight through the cloth because it wasn't his time for him to surrender his, uh, his body over to them. But not even that, he, I, I love how this scripture says he wasn't ruffled, he wasn't moved um, by anything that these people were saying. And I think when you begin to look at this particular chapter, I literally was asking God, you know, uh, you know, for your closing out the year in Bible study, what is this really about that you're trying to speak to us and get us a little bit ahead of the game? And I can't say a little bit ahead of the game to get us ahead of the game. And he talked about how we get ruffled, how we get moved. How not only is it that we get ruffled and we are moved by certain things, we tend to fixate our eyes on, you know, the conditions of others, even when they're ruffled and moved. And we never really focus really on the peace of God that's supposed to surpass our understanding and literally keep us in the place where we are not moved or bothered by things. A lot of times we get ruffled, you know, uh, I would say, you know, uh, especially in a girlfriend guy relationship, we get ruffled. I'm going to dump you before you dump me, you know, do you understand? So you try to move so that you don't get dumped. So you're going to do some things that's going to, you know, ruffle the other person's feathers because you don't want your feathers ruffled. You know, I remember back in the old days when we were little kids, at least when I was growing up, I don't know if you guys experienced that, you know, little girls would say, well, I quit him. And, and we didn't really know what relationships were. We would just go with somebody and quit them the next day or whatever the case may be. But you would quit the person before the other one because you was afraid that your feather was going to be ruffled. I say I'll use that as one way of looking at what he's trying to say, how we get moved by little things. Anything has been able to shake us and take us out of who we are. And God is trying to establish on the inside of us as we move forward in the coming years to be grounded in him. 
how do I say this from a different perspective, Holy Spirit? He says, say it just like this. He said, to know me He said, to know me is to embrace me. And he said, to know me is to embrace me fully. And he said, to take on me fully means to take on my full character. And then he shows me a picture of a candy jar. And in that candy jar, there's all these different candies. And he looks at an individual who's taken from the candy jar. I can see hands going in and they're picking what's pleasing, if that makes sense. They're only taking what is beneficial to them, not what's beneficial to them and others that's going to support the kingdom. Hopefully you guys get what I'm saying. Should I say it in another way? You guys get it? Uh, yeah, I, I think I yeah. do. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. So in the midst of what he's trying to say is that we have to take on his full character. And we have to be in that position to serve and be willing to serve him at all times. But we can't pick and choose when we want to put on the full armor of God. We're taking it off when we should keep it on at all times. Go a little bit further because I love how in this, Precious, you literally showed us that he he was in his life was about to be taken, but he still wasn't moved by the people. And we're moved by so many things. But let's go further because he's not just talking about being moved and being out of character. He wants even to have us to look at how we assess things. So this is about our assessment of things as well. Let's go a little bit further. Rabbi. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples regarded this man as an unsolved riddle. They showed no interest in helping the man, but in discussing the cause for his condition. Jesus was right there. They showed no interest in helping the man. They just wanted to know what was wrong with him. And, and don't we operate from that platform? What's really going on with this person? Yeah, gossip. Mm -hmm. Rather than really understanding how to solve the problem. He said, this is an area I desire to bring you forward in. And so we're not looking at individuals to pick them apart. We're looking at individuals to solve 
the, the problem that exists in them so that the kingdom can go forward. This week, I was in prayer and the Holy Spirit, oh my God, just blasted me out of nowhere. And, and, and it was such a good blast that I was just like floored and I couldn't speak after it. And what he literally said to me, he literally said to me this. He said, you're so busy focusing on what you're doing wrong that you never see the things that you do right. Oh. He said, and because of your, 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 your fixated on what's wrong in you. He said, you take that and you begin to look at everybody through the lens of your own eyes. And he said, and so you cannot see them as I see them because you're so busy focused on how you see yourself. And because you see yourself in a, in a, in a, how would I say, in a defect form, that you cannot see that you're in the right form. Did you guys get that? Uh-huh. So with somebody that's constantly looking at the things that are wrong, okay? It would be, you know, me and sometimes where I'm like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> I, I say to the Lord, uh, you know, menopause is the worst thing you can travel through because you pick up weight that you don't want to pick up. And I'm so focused in on, you know, constantly trying to balance myself. And all I see is me nitpicking myself in that area. And God is literally saying, so when I find something wrong, then I see something else about me. And I'm constantly, constantly picking myself apart because I see things that I'm displeased with. And then he says, and then I turn the guns on others and I pick the same thing in them. So then he asked me to ask you guys, how do you get beyond this? Do what? How do you get beyond yourself? Um, not looking at all those things that are wrong in us because to him we're perfect we're not all messed up like we think and that's what we have to tell ourselves I am pleasing and I am acceptable to the Lord so therefore, those around me are pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. Let's go a little bit further, Precious. I also think to piggyback off of Josie <clears throat> and something else that you have said about keeping on the full armor of God. If we're keeping our full armor of God on, we're not allowing those places that we've taken it off to be exposed for us to then have judgments about that part of ourselves. So if our helmet of salvation is on, then we shouldn't have to worry about, oh, God, my thoughts are this or my hearing is that, you know. Or if I'm wearing the breastplate of righteousness, 
then I shouldn't have to be worried so much about, oh God, Lord, but I'm feeling this and I'm feeling that because I'm wearing, you know, I'm wearing these things versus taking them off and now being exposed to whatever is now going to come. True. So true. So true. I mean, when he said it, when he said to me how I pick things apart, you know, but then he said it so loving to me. Uh, and, and, and he literally was making sure that I understood my assessment of things is faulty. And, and that's what he was trying to get me to see. And, and it was one of them, you know, uh, I was sitting there talking to him and it caught me off guard because I was speaking in, speaking out loud to him and all of a sudden it shifted and he, he just took over my conversation and started talking out loud to me, meaning I had no control of my vocal cords because he took control of them and just started talking to me. And I was like, whoa, this is different. I've never seen you do this. You know, it was like he stopped me and, and, and literally began to correct how I was getting ready to bash me. And, and in that, he literally was saying to me, how would I say it to Lord? He said, this has to stop. He said, you are mature. And he said, and mature people see themselves as I see them. He said, I made you perfect in my image. You have no flaws. And even if they do exist, they exist because I allow them. And I allow them to exist because you continue to come to me. Because you know, I will and can perfect these areas. And then he goes on to say, hear me. And then he, he just literally shows me how we need to take a step forward. Like we need to walk away from our assessment. Oh. And so as we walk away and we step forward, we're walking away how we see ourselves, how we assess ourselves. Let's go a little bit further because I believe this message is going to speak more to us than ever. Jesus will soon show a different way. He won't dwell on the theological puzzle, but on actually helping the man. It is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenor of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical, less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. Let's stop that. That was a lot, right? That was a lot. 
What did you guys get out of that? To me, it represented, let's stop trying to figure people out. Let's Just stop trying to, to look at, uh-huh. Uh -huh. and, and if we stop trying to figure people out, we'll stop trying to figure ourselves out. And, and it just said, just focus on doing kingdom things. So can you repeat that again? Because I want to make sure that they hear it. Jesus will soon show a different way. He won't dwell on the theological puzzle, but on actually helping the man. It is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenor of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical, less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. And so when he's talking about, you know, trying to figure things out, how often do we run to the place where we're trying to figure out what's going on? Why this? You know, somebody said to me uh, a while back that they know a family that that whole entire family is, you know, is messed up. And that the family literally say that we are all messed up. But is this not an opportunity to bring the gospel? Oh. Is it not an opportunity to share what is just and right so that that whole family can be saved? And, and, and the way we go about looking at it, we just consider they're all dysfunctional. But God is functional. And if we choose to serve God to a dysfunctional group of people, don't you know they eat him up? Oh. And how we know that we are proof. At one point, we were dysfunctional. And when the light came, it automatically made us run towards it and truly cling to it because we no longer wanted to be who we were. And so when he's talking about delivering the gospel, you know, sometimes we'll say, why is this person homeless? This person don't even look like they should be homeless. Do you hear me? say stuff like that and God is just saying solve the problem and solve the problem is offer the gospel let's go a little bit further we often suspect that where there is more than ordinary sufferer there is a more than ordinary sinner the disciples believed this so much that they wondered if this man had actually sinned before he was born. Wait a minute, did you guys hear that? 
-hmm. When you see more disorder, don't you get it? There's more suffering. Like, oh, what's going on in that family? Haven't we said that? Kids on drugs. Mother's missing. Remember, you guys see your assessments? Uh, there ain't nobody there. So who's raising who? Have you ever had that type of assessment? Uh -huh. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, nobody in here? Or even looked at something simple when you say, these kids are barefoot in an outside early morning. And you look around trying to figure out where the parents are? Is he, uh, he's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us that we need to stop looking at all that petty stuff, and, and we need to look at the salvation, not the not what's going around or what's happening. We just gotta get to the point and get those people saved. Stop looking yes. at all these, even with our mistake and all our stuff that we have. Just stop focusing on all that junk and just look at the most important part: is their salvation. We're just correct. You summarized it perfectly. Because even like when you started, when you were starting to say that stuff, I think that, I mean, I thought that only happened to me, but then when you start saying it, and you're talking about exactly what I asked him, or what I, the things that bother me, or the things that I feel are wrong with me. So that's the exact thing that I'm asking him, and I think I'm the only one. But then he's showing me that I'm not the only one, that we all do this, and we need to all stop doing this and just focus on him and focus on the most important thing that he wants is to get the people saved and for them to come to him and stop thinking about all these little things that don't matter. Even like when you don't have money to pay a bill, if you don't have this or you just gotta, like, if we trust him, we got to trust him for all of that, but we got to put his his thing's more important than our stuff that we think that we're going through. So true. So true. And the funny part about it is, you know, Holy Spirit reminded me, like when I used to, you know, had a need, I would go and literally deliver the gospel. He would tell me, go over here and talk to this, go ahead and talk to that. And the people would turn around and just took money out of their pocket and sought to hand it to me. And I was like, no, I don't want your money. But I wasn't mature enough to understand that they had to offer it to me because in essence, they were offering it to God for recognizing the, the, uh, the need to help them in their flight. Uh-huh. But, but because I was so caught up in my judgment, I'm like, wait a minute, whoa. I'm just doing this because God, God told me to do it. And, and what I was literally saying, I'm still judging you. And so God is literally trying to get out of, out of this place where we're analyzing everything and just looking at them as people. And we want people to look at us as people, right? Yes. We hate when we're judged. So why do we put that 
that that rope around their neck. And we can't stand if somebody analyze us. Go a little bit further. Can I say one thing really quick? Of course. Amanda. Um, what I see is, so the disciples are talking the way that they would have learned through the law. Because mm -hmm. the law told you that you do something, you get cursed. You do something good, you get blessed. And so when we focus on our errors and everything you're talking about, Pastor, it's still having a law-based mentality and that's what the Lord's trying to get us out of even when you know I even like stutter sometimes when we talk about generational curses and things like that because we're still focusing on a law-based um, way of seeing things and and trying to find fault and that all comes back to old covenant so I believe in summing up what you're saying is God wants us to walk in maturity of like because that gives sin power and shows that you know like it, it focuses on law and sin as being more powerful than salvation and so when we focus and completely absorb new covenant mindset then there's no comparison and it's not even a conversation and then we won't be missing out on the things that we're desiring. God is just literally saying, just do it. It's like, you know, uh, I'm speaking to you, Amanda. It's like when you said, well, why haven't these things come forward? That's part of that law. That's how we're judging because we have an expectation that it's going to come forward overnight. I did everything that I'm supposed to do. And these things are not coming forward. Are we not still locked to that law too? Because we're saying in this, it's supposed to produce in its timing and we don't know what the timing of God is. Yes, absolutely, merit-based system. Yeah. Every time he, he breaks this down, he literally is telling me again to tell you guys, take a step forward. So if you can see yourself in the spirit, just take your take a step forward. Because what he's doing is as he's calling this stuff out, he's removing it from you, even as he's speaking to you, and he's just asking you to move forward. Just move forward. And, and what he's literally saying, if you don't condemn others, then you won't be condemned yourself. So he's removing that condemnation off of us. And he's shifting us back to kingdom. So take the step forward in your mind. See yourself moving forward. See yourself unlocking the chains that you have put around yourself. It's like he's saying to me, understand going through menopause is natural. Picking up weight in menopause is natural. 
He's literally saying to me that this is this is a process that is about that he has designed in my body. And 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 how we see things is like this is faulty. And God is saying, no, it's not. And then he literally says to me, and he makes me laugh because he literally says, well, you're going to be moved because the next stage you're going to go through in your body, he said, you're going to lose that and some. Because the older you get, you start losing even more. <laughs> and so we have to be okay with the stages that we are in in our lives. Let's go a little bit further in the word. The disciples believed this so much, so they wondered if this man had actually sinned before he was born, causing his blind condition. In their thinking about divine retribution, they had not advanced far beyond the position of Job's friends. Oh, did you guys hear that? <laughs> So they were stuck in tradition, exactly what Amanda said. They were under the law. And so it literally showed that they did not advance in the kingdom. And God wants to advance us in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. He said, again, take a step forward. Just let your mind go Forward. He's advancing us in the kingdom. And the main reason why he keeps saying again, take a step forward, he, he's pushing us all the way up. This is just not a simple push, but he's pushing us all the way into that place of maturity. So he keeps saying, take a step forward. And some of you will hear him saying it without me saying it. He's going to tell you personally to take a step forward. Mm -hmm because he wants you to mature all the way in this area. And, and, and the funny part, as you guys, if you could see it in the spirit, as you guys see it, he's leveling you up. It's like he's taking something off of you and he's leveling you up and you're advancing higher and higher in the realms of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And as you go higher and higher, what's changing on the inside may not be visible to you, but it is visible to him in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I think what he decided to do as a close of this Bible study is to, to bring our mindsets up. Thank you, Lord. To cause us to be truly in alignment with purpose. Let's go further. It was widely held that suffering, and especially such a disaster as blindness, was due to sin. 
the general principle was laid down by Rabbi, Rabbi Ami. Oh, what the heck just happened? Sorry, the app literally turned off one second. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, there is no death without sin, and there is no suffering without iniquity. God suggested. Repeat God, that again. There is no what? There is no death without sin, okay. and there is no suffering without iniquity. Dodd suggested five possible reasons behind their question. Some of the Jews of that time believed in the pre existence of souls and the possibility that those pre-existent souls could sin. Some of the Jews at that time believed in some kind of reincarnation and perhaps the man sinned in a previous existence. Some of the Jews at that time believed that a baby might sin in the womb. They thought the punishment was for a sin the man would later commit. They were so bewildered that they threw out a wild possibility without thinking it through. Um, didn't you hear what he's saying? We throw a, lot, a wild possibility, but we don't think what we're saying through. Crazy. And so he's literally saying we have faulty assessment of things. And if you truly thought it through, then you can truly hear and understand what's going on. We make assessment and we don't think things through. But yet we have discernment. We have the ability to discern the truth, but we don't stop to really understand. Oh, I'll ask God later. How often do we say that? Oh, I'll come before him later. Oh, that's something, Lord, I want to talk to you about. It didn't sit right on me. And we never get to the point to where we asked him. And so we continue to walk forward with skewered understanding. And the Holy Spirit just says, stop and take me in. Take the time to truly to assess. And if you're taking the time to truly to assess, be willing to do something about what you're assessing. So don't look at someone and leave them in the condition once you assess, but be willing to do something about it. He said what he's really trying to get us to understand, even for ourselves, we got to stop complaining and we got to be in that place of action. Wow. Let's go further. 
Jesus responds to the question without answering it. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Oh my As God. <clears throat> I want to make sure that you hear that. He said this man didn't sin. It was that the works of God may be fulfilled. So when we see and we see things and we're assessing or we're looking at things and we're trying to gain understanding why something exists, it is for the work of God to go forward. Did you guys see that? Uh -huh. So the things that you're encountering and, and it baffles you, it is for the works of God to go forward. So God allowed you to see that so that you can then tap into the spirit and say, Lord, what should I do? Uh -huh. How do I move on your behalf? And then the Holy Spirit says to me, there are so many miracles waiting to happen. And he said, and they cannot come forth without my people. And then he says, there are so many little testimonies about the kingdom because my people are not focused on me. And I just see somebody taking off their armor again. Oh. It's like you come in, this stuff is weighted down. Oh, it's heavy. We take it off, we set it to the side, but we forget to put it back on. And the Lord said, live in me. Because to truly to assess and be able to do something about what you're seeing is to really be able to function as he has. You guys are getting this, right? He told me to ask you guys. Yeah, I was literally chewing on this all day. I was reading um, from another book, a prophet who was saying uh, to ask, Lord, what part, what role do I play in this miracle instead when we're moved or, you know, seeing something that's happening that is, you know, someone has a problem or there's something that is like way over our heads to solve. And instead of just being like, wow, what's wrong with that person or what's wrong with me? asking him what role we're supposed to play. Uh -huh. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Wow, that changes a lot. He goes back to me and he says, so many miracles are waiting. Mm -hmm. And then he shows me like some uh, a Santa Claus list. I don't know why he shows me a Santa Claus list, but he shows me a list. But the funny part about the list, it has all of our names on it. 
And I looked at the list and I would think that other people's names are on the list, but it's showing a list of all the things that we are required to do. And for some reason or another, he then shows me like a like one of us standing on the other side of the street and we're calling out to somebody on the other side and we're literally telling that person, do not cross the street. And then whoever we're hollering out to, because I don't know who it is, but that person is hollering out to the person on the other side of the street and pleading with them not to walk across the street. Uh, in essence, the person steps off of the curve, but then hears and comes back to the place that they were supposed to not step off. And the person turns to the person yelling, thank you, you saved my life. He shows me that as a miracle to come. Oh. But the funny part about the list it's like our names are written over and over and over. It shows me Kathy did this, and then it shows me Precious did this, and then it shows me the next person did this. I can see everybody's name. I even see Q name. I see uh, Paul's name. Ooh, I see Paul's name listed many times. I see Takiya's name. I see everybody's name. And I was looking on the list to see if there was somebody else but he shows me it's us. Amen. And I love the fact that he shows me it's us on this list, because if I had seen other people's names, I would have then bowed out, if that makes sense. But it's our names. Uh. And we are all attached to miracles. And a lot of times we think miracles are difficult, but miracles are simple. I love what Amanda said. How do I fit into the miracle? Uh -huh. And I always tell the miracle of uh, Billy's uh, nephew. Because uh. I never forgot that miracle. Uh. And it was simple. You know, it was simple. Somebody called and said, can you pray? I don't know if it was Renata or Billy, but somebody called me and said, can you pray? And as I began to pray, the Lord showed me King David, hear me, and then showed me King David and showed me the baby. And I immediately went to Pastor Donna at that time. And I said, this is what I'm getting for her baby. What do you want me to do? She literally said, oh, that's not a good report. She said, King David's uh, son died. I said, but the Lord is telling me to go to the hospital and deliver a message recording to King David's son. I was obedient. I went and I delivered the message. But when I got there, I'll never forget the husband literally said, I've been waiting on you. God showed me. Mm. And then he began to tell me what God showed him. And my message was easy. 
stop listening to the doctors. That was the miracle. Stop listening to the doctors and believe. Then the second thing the Lord told me to do is to get rid of all idols and everything that was hindering that they were worshiping outside of him. It was Christmas season. It was around this time. Mm. And the Lord told me to go to the, into the room and said, pick the toys, let him pick toys. But they wanted to give all kinds of Christmas ornaments and Christmas things and get them focused on that. And the Lord said, don't let that go in that child's room. And I went into the room because they were giving away all the stuff to every kid at the hospital. And they wanted to take everything that was given. And I was like, no, take this instead. No, take this instead. The Lord had me to help them sort through, but I couldn't tell them what I was seeing. And then all of a sudden the baby, oh my God, I'll never forget. The baby's whole chest was open and his skin was all pulled back. And I remember looking at that particular time at this child and they were saying, do you want to hold him? Do you want to hold him? And the Lord said, stop passing the baby around. And he told me not to hold the child, but to stand outside the room and pray against the errors that was going on in, the, in that hospital because one had just recently got went home to heaven because of the errors that was made by the people. Oh. I never forgot that. And it was a simple, simple obedience, going to the hospital saying the child will live and to pray against the errors. And look at the miracle today. Oh. They said he was going to be brain dead. Because there was a point in time where he lost all consciousness. And normally the child comes back brain dead. God had a miracle in line. And it only took obedience. And it took me not to look at what my mind could have speculated. Because when I seen that baby chest open, I could have told you 50 million things and I would start freaking out. And the Lord said, do not look at the child. Focus on what I told you. Because he knew that if I looked and start focusing on the child, I would speculate. And the problem is we focus on the things that are around us, which causes us to speculate. And that takes us away from the miracle. Uh -huh. And that's not the only one I see. So I know if he says he's got a list and all of our names are on it, you just got to be willing. I tell you guys something that was funny. So we go out yes, uh, on Sat Sunday to go deliver these flats like to people. And our first person we meet is at the bus stop. And I look at the guy and it seems like everybody could hear us singing from afar because when I knocked on some of these people's doors, we said, like, I know who you are. You're the people that sing so loud. 
<laughs> so I, I was shocked. And so I handed the guy the flashlight and I didn't expect him to pray, ask me to pray. He said, oh, can you pray for me? I'm not feeling good right now. And in my mind, I was like, you want me to pray for you? Do you hear me? <laughs> and then I stopped with the intent to pray for him. And then I said, Lord, let there be a miracle that he go and tell others about it. Let every area of his body be totally healed, that he go and he share out what God has done for him. <sighs> yes, I will pray. And that's the way we're supposed to be. Let's go further in the message. Wow. Um, I must work. Oh, God. This thing is tripping. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The Did night. Get that? I must work. You must work the works of him that sent you while it's day. Mm -hmm. There is going to come a time, you hear the next part of that scripture say, well, we won't have the ability to work and we're going to be moved. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to wish we had did the work. Keep going. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. First, Jesus said that the man's blindness <clears throat> essentially was a birth defect, was not caused by some specific sin on the part of the man or his parents. Birth defects and other such tragedies are sometimes due to sinful behavior of the parents, yet far more often, and in the case Jesus spoke of here, it is due simply to sin and our fallen condition in general, not due to any specific sin. The sin of Adam set the principle of death and its associated destruction in the world, and we have had to deal with it ever since. Did you guys hear that? So mm -hmm. we don't even need to assess because we know what it is. Mm -hmm. It is the sin of Adam. And so we can't begin to assess people when we know it's the sin of Adam. And he's literally saying to me, don't see anything else. Because if you sum it up with the sin of Adam, you have a better way of managing it. If you sum up the things that you're contending with, with the sin of Adam, you have a better way of looking at it. Because when you recognize it's the sin of Adam, it wasn't under your control. So you can't control it. How do I say this from a different perspective, Lord? Oh my God. He said, for when the sin of Adam appeared, 
you must look to the cross that redeemed you. Uh -huh. So every time we see the sin of Adam, we're supposed to look to Jesus because he is our redemption. And when you look to Jesus to see he's the redemption, you can say, I can fix that through Christ. Well, my Lord will fix that. Will you allow me to pray? Let's take a little bit further. The sin of Adam set the principle of death and its associated destruction in the world. And we have had to deal with it ever since. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. Speaking to this man's situation, Jesus told them that even his blindness was in the plan of God. So that the works <laughs> of God should be revealed in him. Okay, so, so wait a minute. So the things that we see in our life, what is that in? The works of God. <laughs> the plan of God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he planned that on my life. He planned mm -hmm. me to have these things. It's the plan of God. And, and I see, see him in the spirit at a drawing board. And he's sketching out each one of our lives. I can't say he's sketching out. He has sketched out each one of our lives. So it's in the plan of God. And he sketched out the miracles that we're supposed to do as a result of his plans. Let's go further. Think of all the times the little blind boy asked his mother, why am I blind? Perhaps she never felt she had a good answer. Jesus explained, it is because God wants to work in and through even in this. Jesus pointed the question oh away. Oh my God. Why? Look at that one. Look at that one. Wait a minute. So mm -hmm. the little boy asked his mom, she can't answer it. But only Jesus has the answer. So Jesus is literally looking to work through the family, to work through the little boy in the surrounding community because everybody knows who he is. So look how much great uh, of effect that it's going to cause on everybody around him. Oh. And then the Lord says, and this is why I send you. And then when he said, this is why I send you, sent you, he literally shows me the woman at the well. He, he met her because he knew she would go back and tell the world. <laughs> and he knows that if you encounter a miracle, you're going to tell everybody. Uh. And it's going to travel. And it's going to affect many. And many will come seeking him out. Oh 
and I don't know why I keep hearing this and I keep ignoring it. 2024 is a year of miracles taking effect in us. Lord says, I want to do things to you and through you. He says, allow me fully into your heart. For this is a time that I have set to move on your behalf. Hallelujah. You going? Jesus explained, it is because God wants to work in and through even this. Jesus pointed the question away from why and on the idea, what can God do in this? In this man's case, the specific work of God would soon be revealed. To heal him of his blindness, God may reveal his works in other lives, in, in lives other ways such as joy and endurance in the midst of difficulty. Mm. In the economy. Joy and endurance in the midst of difficulty. So so as a result of it, uh, some of the miracles will be our endurance. Yeah, the perseverance, yeah. Mm -hmm. Rather long suffering. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) keep going in the economy of God's providence his suffering had its place and aim and this was to bring out the works of God in his being healed by the redeemer Mm. did you guys get that our suffering is to bring out the works of God hallelujah and his healing power to come forth. That's why he started the particular part of this message that he's walking through the town. And as he's walking through the town, he's not moved by them trying to kill him. So it started off by letting us know that we should not be moved by the things that are going on around us. Keep going. Evil furthers the work of God in the world. (laughs) Wow. Did you hear that? Yeah. (laughs) I can't even keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Let's stop and look at that. What does that look like, you guys? Somebody got something to say on that one? So hardship Ooh, can you repeat the work that again? Oh, I'll repeat it again. Evil furthers the work of God in the world. My mind immediately went to um, a story I, I heard as a kid of the turtle and the hare. 
how the turtle is always trying to do all these things to to beat out the hare because he knows the, I mean, that the hare is trying to do all these things to outbeat the turtle because he knows the turtle is slow. But in the end, the turtle still gets the victory. So the enemy is trying to do all this evil. But in the end, God is going to have the victory. Mm-hmm. That it's going to beat out. Mm-hmm. It's going to beat out evil. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're so busy focused in on evil, like evil was getting the upper hand and evil was not. Mm-hmm. That's what I see as that. Evil will never have the upper hand. It thinks it's winning, but it's really losing. Exactly. And what's presented to us is always the evil. We're never hearing exactly. about the works of goodness and righteousness and all the good stuff. We're always put in our face. This is going on and this is going on and this is going on. So what he's literally saying to us that if we get involved, that we will beat out evil. If we will step up, we will do what is great and evil will be defeated. Or what, how would I say, our, our own personal perceptions of evil. that ties us to a law will be beat out. And it will be seen for what it is. And God will have the victory in these places. Anybody else hear something? Okay, let's go further. It is not it is in conquering and abolishing evil that he is manifested. Mm. The question for us is not where suffering has come from, but what are we to do with it? <laughs> Did you get it? it? <laughs> yeah. So instead of saying Oh, why is this stuff existing? What are you going to do about it? Uh-huh. Why is this person acting a fool? What are you going to do about it? Why is these people doing this? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Uh-huh. Instead of looking at it, what are you going to do? Do I take it in my prayer closet and begin to pray? Do I fast for a resolution? What am I going to do about it? Are you going to believe that you're the answer to it? He said, are you going to trust me? Do you believe that I can fix it? Praise God. Want to go further, Francis? 
yes, one second. I'm typing a note to myself. Um, this does not mean that God deliberately caused the child to be born blind in order that after many years, his glory should be displayed in the removal of the blindness. To think so would again be of, be not the character of God. It does mean that God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew to manhood, he might, by the recovering of his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Christ and others. Seeing the work of God might turn to the true light of the world. Hmm. We must suppose that every sufferer will in the long run be made aware of his share and promoting that advance. Though today he suffer blindly, little conscious of his privilege. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Instead of focusing on the man as a theology problem, Jesus saw him as an opportunity to work the works of God. Jesus sensed an urgency to do this while it was still day the time of his earthly ministry, I must work, is a marvelous statement of Jesus. The worker is a well-earned title to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the worker, the chief worker, and the example to all workers. <laughs> he worked under the limitations of morality and recognized in the brevity of life another call to eager and continuous service. Whenever you see a man in sorrow and trouble, the way to look at it is not to blame him and inquire how he came there, but to say, here is an opening for God's almighty love. Here is an occasion for the display of the grace and goodness of the Lord. The night is coming when no, when no one can work. Jesus understood that opportunities for service and doing good don't last forever. Jesus, that healing this man on the Sabbath would bring greater opposition from the religious leaders who already wanted to silence and kill him. Yet his compassion for the man drove him to do it anyway. I want to make sure that you're, that you're here. He said it creates opposition for people to want to kill you. So it's going to, when you begin to do the works of God, it's going to create some negatives but he said he still did it because he wasn't focused in on the negative he was focusing in on the opportunity to further the kingdom so you're going to get backlash you're going to be told how could you have done that but you still have to really look at it's an opportunity to serve the kingdom in your health by improving your sleep with a new mattress that Ashley special financing option. It was boom. Okay, want to keep going? Our Lord as a man here on earth had a day. It was only a day, a short period, and not very long. He could not make it longer, for it was settled by the great Lord. The man is healed. When he had these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man 
with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he, so he went and washed and came back seen. He spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. Jesus used what was undoubtedly one of his more unusual methods leading to a miracle. We can suppose that Jesus wanted to emphasize at least two things. Just as God used the dust of the ground and clay to do a work of creation in Genesis, so Jesus did a work of creation with dust and clay for this man. Mm. Jesus found it important to change his methods of healing so one could never make a formula of the methods. Mm. <laughs> The power was in God, not in a method. The emphasis of John seems to be on compassion rather than creation. The touch of a friendly hand would be reassuring. The weight of the clay would serve as an indicator to the blind man that something had been done to him and it would be an endorsement to obey Jesus's command. In his ministry to the souls of men, Jesus adopted no stereotyped approach. He dealt with each man as his particular need required. <clears throat> Several commentators note that what seems so strange to us, using saliva as a medicine upon the eyes, was not so strange in the ancient world. Spittle, and especially the spittle of some distinguished persons, was believed to possess certain curative qualities. The virtue of the fasting saliva in the cases of disorders of the eye was well known to antiquity. Mark recorded two other healings that Jesus performed with the use of his saliva. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. In this miracle, Jesus took all the initiative. Jesus came to the blind man. The blind man did not come to him. Even so, he expected the blind man to respond with faith-filled action. The healing would not happen unless the man responded with those faith-filled, obedient actions. Not many people would appreciate having mud made with spit rubbed in their eyes. Some would look at how Jesus did this miracle and object, saying that it was offensive, inadequate, or even harmful to rub mud made with spit in a man's eyes. In the same way, some feel that the gospel is offensive. It is true that it offends man's pride and human wisdom, but it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. In the same way, some feel that the gospel is inadequate but have all the psychiatric and political and social programs in the world done more good than the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ? <laughs> in the same way, some feel that the gospel is harmful, that the free offer of grace in Jesus will cause people to sin, that grace may abound, but the gospel changes our life for the good and the pure, not unto wickedness. The water for the pool of Siloam came through Hezekiah's tunnel, a remarkable engineering feat built in Old Testament times. 
It was called Siloam, which it was said meant sent because the water in it had been sent through the conduit into the city. It was from the Siloam stream that was drawn the water, which was poured over the great altar at the feast of the tabernacles just past, which pouring out was regarded by the rabbis and is still as typical of the pouring out of the spirit in the latter days, which is translated sent. Again and again, John refers to Jesus as having been sent by the Father. So now blindness is removed with reference to and with the aid of the sent. So he, keeps he went, saying sent. He keeps saying sent. Mm -hmm. So he's literally trying to make sure that we understand we are sent. He he constantly keeps saying sent, sent. I think you probably read that word like what four or five times. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to get into us to the understanding that we have been sent on the behalf of the kingdom. Let's go further. So he went and washed. This took faith. Even when Jesus did not even promise the blind man's sight in the doing of this, it was surely implied. But the man acted on faith, even in the implied promise of Jesus. Still as a blind man, he had to find his way down to the pool of Siloam and down its steps to the pool itself. He likely could think of a, a dozen reasons why this was a fool's errand, but he went and washed in faith and obedience because Jesus told him to. And because there was, right there. There was some there was a part where he said he can you read that part back again? Because the Holy Spirit said something to me. Um still as blind man, still as a blind man, he had to find his way down to the pool of Siloam and down its steps to the pool itself. He likely could think of a dozen reasons why this was a fool's errand. Stop but that. He... This mm -hmm. is us. The Lord says, we spend our time thinking that this is foolish. Sometimes we hear things and it just don't make sense to our mind, so we automatically think that it's foolishness. And the Lord literally wants me to make sure, because I know you guys will hear things and God will tell you to do things. And he says, I do not operate as men do. He says, I will always do what causes man's hearts to change. He said, do you hear me? I will always do what sparks a radical change in man. He said, hear me. And then he says, for as you are sent, and I shall speak into you, the things that you shall do. And 
accordance to what is necessary that my kingdom may be displayed through you. Hear me. What may be done for one shall not be done for another. So my ask is that you trust me with what I shall ask of you. Goes on to say, hear me, hear me, hear me. And he says, and do not be afraid to speak the words that I may readily put on your tongue. He said, they may sound foreign and they may not sound as if I'm speaking to you. But I ask that you speak what you're hearing. And as you speak, my spirit shall fall forth and change what isn't for you. He goes on again to say, hear me, my spirit should fall forth and change what's before you. When he says his spirit should fall forth, he's literally saying that we won't be able to see it all the time, but his spirit is going to take precedent in whatever you're dealing with and it's going to cause that change to come forward and he should and you shall report back what the spirit of the Lord has done to you hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying step forward he says Step forward, he says. Step forward, he says. One more time. Step forward, he says. Back to you, precious. Pastor, may I share something? Mm -hmm. Before you speak, Moot. Um, I, I would think it's probably a week before Thanksgiving and I was going into um, a market and there was a um, an individual outside the store that was um, destitute and um, and he was asking for money and um, I thought about you for a minute, Pastor. I just reached in my pocket. I said, oh, Lord, how much I got in this pocket over here? So I, I just gave it to him. He asked for 50 cents. I said, why go 50 cents? And then you popped in my head again, Pastor. I'm like, what pocket should I go in? I don't know. I'm going into the store. But anyway, that's, um, that's here nor there. 
uh, I reached in and gave him what I had in my pocket. But then I said, what is your name? And he told me, he says, my name is Chris. And I said, really? I said, you know, if you put a T at the end, you got Christ within you. I said, can I pray for you? And he said, would you do that for me? And I was just going to give prayer of prosperity and health. And when I went and I grabbed his hand, and when I began to pray for Chris, I lost consciousness and praise God, it's the Holy Spirit was coming through me. I don't remember what I was saying in prayer for Chris. But when I concluded, there were people that had gathered around outside the store and uh, Chris was crying, I was crying, and the people were thanking me. And they says, well, well where, do you have a church? Where do you preach at? And you know, and I was like, "Wow, really?" I said, "I'm just a servant of the Lord," you know. But it it resonated on me. And then when I got in my car to leave, I stopped for a minute because Father God was speaking to me, and He says, "Job well done, my son." And He says, "I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you." And it, it's just been with me and through the whole uh, course of study tonight where you said earlier, Pastor, that um, we you were referring to the little boy or, or someone of young being a, a testimony of the miracles of the Lord. And I said, well... The Lord performed a miracle on me before I even knew the Lord. And I was, I don't know, uh, my, my, my parents were from the country. And I guess I had a deformity of the leg, meaning bow-legged. And during that timeline, um, there wasn't a whole lot of remedies, you know, orthopedic specialists and yada, yada, yada. But anyway, they were going to take me over to this lady in the neighborhood that was going to do something for my legs. But the night, the day, the morning of, when, um, from what I was told by my mom, she came to get me, to take me over to this lady's house, my legs were straight. And that came to memory. I never thought about that until tonight. And then I thought about, and we're just, this is just, resonating on the miracles of the Lord and, 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 and that we are a, a living testimony of his goodness and of his, the miracles that he has bestowed upon us other than just life itself, because every day that we awake, it's a blessing and it's a miracle in itself. But to my immediate family, I was the one that got electrocuted that lived. I was the one who drowned at the beach and lived. And I'm like, wow. And I never really sort of looked at it as being a miracle of the Lord other than, you know, I was a kid. I didn't know. But but from those occasions um, to the praying 
for Chris when it was just him and I. And when I, when the Holy Spirit had released me of prayer, there was people that had gathered around and they were appreciative, not for me just praying for him, just for whatever I had prayed or what came out of me, they were receptive to it. And I was like, wow. And there was a glow about me when the Lord does things to me, for me, and within me, there's this, uh, <laughs> there's this, this radiant, um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's it just your 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 whole persona is like uh you're charged up and uh i was like wow i'm not ready to leave you know and people were still coming up because since i didn't drive away people were still coming up to my car and i'm rolling the window down and, and they said praise you uh, uh brother pastor i'm like no i'm just <laughs> i'm just paul you know but it was it was um it was it 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 was it was just the blessing of the lord but i it it just we all see the goodness of the lord and when we share it um it, it's just of the goodness and the miracle of the lord what he has done in our in our personal life and if we just see that just for for what it is just just what he has brought us through not just to bring us to but what he has brought us through um is a testimony in itself and it's a reflection of his goodness and his the miracles that he has performed in us and then i for some reason amanda was talking i'm like you know what and I, I don't know, I'm not trying to be funny. I say, but, you know, Miranda, Amanda has, and I'm, I keep, Amanda has two little ones and she's bringing another one. I say, well, God bless David and Amanda, you know, but but then I, I, I honed in on the miracles of what mothers do in the birthing of bringing a life, you know, but all of it just, it, it's in par with, with with scripture of our studies tonight, and I just praise God for it. Thanks for sharing your testimony. Praise God. Thank you, Yes. Thank you, brother. Amen. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Amen. Back to you, precious. <laughs> okay. Um. I'm just back up a little bit. He could likely, he likely could think of a dozen reasons why this was a fool's errand, but he went and washed in faith and obedience because Jesus told him to and because there was mud in his eyes. And he came back seeing. This is the first time in the biblical record a person born blind was healed of their blindness. From Genesis to John, no prophet, priest, or apostle ever gave sight to eyes born blind. Since healing blind eyes is the work of the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, it shows that Jesus is God. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Psalms 146, 8. 
opening the eyes of the blind was prophesied to be a work of the Messiah. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Isaiah 35, 5. Came back seeing. The word render received sight is literally recovered sight. Sight being natural to men, the deprivation of its regarded as a loss and the reception of it, though never enjoyed before as a recovery. As the impotent man of chapter five cured after his 38 years of sickness may be viewed as a type of the Jews who are yet to be healed, so may this man of chapter nine Josie, can you mute yourself? Sorry. So may this man of chapter nine, blind from birth, be viewed as a type of the Gentiles whose healing was about to begin and who were about to believe into Jesus as him who was sent from God. B, the controversy surrounding the healing. The neighbors react to the healed man Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat in bed? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. It seemed too amazing to believe, but the man convinced them that he was, in fact, healed from the congenital blindness. The transformation in his life was so significant that he, many found it hard to believe he was the same man, a man called Jesus. At this point, the man knew very little about Jesus. He didn't seem to know that Jesus was from Nazareth or was the Messiah or claimed to be God or the light of the world. He didn't even know where Jesus was. The man seemed to know nothing about Jesus except his name, and that Jesus was the man who healed him. The blind man never even saw Jesus until later in the story. His first dealings with Jesus were while he was still blind, and Jesus was not there when he washed his eyes at the pool of Siloam and could see. The healed man is brought to the Pharisees. So they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Jesus took the initiative in this miracle and could have done it on any day he chose. 
Jesus chose to do this miracle on the Sabbath to challenge the petty traditions of the religious leaders, oh, traditions that mm -hmm. they lifted to the place of binding laws. Did you get that? So, so he wanted to challenge the thinking of them, the how they seen it, the traditional laws, legalism. He wanted to challenge the things that was on the inside of them. God is seeking to challenge the things that are on the inside of us and others. He wants to do away with how we see things and bring us into an understanding of how he sees things. Not by your own power, not by your own will, but it's through the Lord that you shall do these things. I love how Paul, as he began to share that, he lost sight of himself. He took the step and he was trying to do what he normally does, but the spirit caught him up and he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> and it overtook him and those around him. And that's what it's about. But the only thing I don't like about Paul is that he ran from it. He should have stayed there and said, who else can I pray for? Because the anointing was definitely on him. Mm. Well, I didn't say it was a brief time. I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. It just, <laughs> I, I didn't look at like, okay, when, it, when, when the Holy Spirit released me that, okay, let me look at my watch and see how long I've been here. It wasn't that kind of moment. It was just a moment of um, I was obedient and. Uh, Amen. And just, yeah, focus on the thing that you did well, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and so it was. Um, wow. I mean, it. I know my calling and I, <laughs> I um, and so, uh, yeah, I know my calling. Praise God, okay. but okay. <laughs> Do you know? Because this is like the second or third time I've heard you say people called you that and you refuted it. <laughs> mm. Brother Preacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Continue, Precious. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the categories of work specifically forbidden on the Sabbath in the tradition interpretation of the law was kneading and the making of mud or clay with such simple ingredients as earth and saliva was construed as a form of kneading. Works of necessity and mercy never could be forbidden on the day by him whose name is mercy and whose nature is love. <laughs> for the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Were it otherwise, the Sabbath would be rather a curse than a blessing. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. To the Pharisees, 
Jesus could not be from God because he did not line up with their traditions and prejudices. This man, this man is contemptuous, this fellow. There was a division among them. Instead of uniting everyone, Jesus often divided men. They were divided between those who accepted him and trusted him and those who did not. In so choosing, you guys get that. You're going to divide men. Mm-hmm. Keep going. In choosing, they took one of two sides regarding Jesus. Jesus is a sinner and should be rejected. Our understanding and application of the Sabbath law is wrong. There was far more evidence for the second proposition than for the first. Yet it seems that far more of them adopted the first position. They did this in spite of the evidence, not because of it. The group speaking tentatively in favor of Jesus must have been a small one. We do not hear of them again after this verse. And throughout the rest of the chapter, the narrative proceeds as though the other group were the only one to be considered. The minority's question, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Sounds much like Nicodemus opening words to Jesus. No one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not in him. Excuse me, not with him. The religious leaders questioned the man born blind. They said to the blind man again, oh what God. do you say about him? Oh my God, wait a minute, wait a minute, because there's something that we need to look at because remember how he started off in the beginning as he was talking to me, talking about, you know, how we see ourselves, we're nitpicking and this and that and that, and we see sin and whatever the case may be. He was literally showing me like this, like, how can a sinner do this? It is not the sin that we are focused on. It is the works of God that we should be focused in on. So it's not about where you stand, what your position is, what you fell short in, or whatever the case may be, because grace covers all of that. And if you understand grace and you embrace grace, you wouldn't be in that position looking at you or any other person in that negative light. In addition to that, he literally says to me, if you looked at the beginning, as I have said, the fall of Adam, you would understand why you're walking and contending with some of the things that you are contending with. And he says that you would put that on me rather than trying to put it on someone else. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. That, that was, you put it on me. Yeah. Instead There's of putting it on that, in, uh-huh. you put it on him. You know, he's the one that basically bore it on the cross. So you put it on him. Everything that you're seeing that you, you're at odds with, in, with another individual, you put it on Christ. <clears throat> okay, go ahead. <sighs> what do you say? Wait a minute. The religious leaders questioned the man born blind. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? 
because he opened your eyes. He said he is a prophet, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. Most of the religious leaders had made up their mind about Jesus, saying that he was not of God, yet some disagreed. They thought they would get the opinion of the man born blind regarding Jesus. It is a measure of their perplexity and division that they ask the man what he thinks of Jesus. Mm, Normally, Did you hear that? Perplexity mm-hmm. in their division. So they wouldn't even in sync with what they were saying. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, normally, they would not have dreamed of putting a question on a religious issue to such a man. He is a prophet. Jesus did not specifically say to this man that he would be healed if he washed in the pool of Siloam. But it was implied in the action. Though Jesus was not present when the man actually gained his sight, one could say that Jesus prophesied that he would gain his sight if he did what Jesus told him to do. In John 9, 11, all the man knew about Jesus was his name. Here, the healed man proclaimed that Jesus was a prophet. He grew in his understanding and proclamation about Jesus. Now, according to a Jewish maxim, a prophet might dispense with the observation of the Sabbath. If they allow that Jesus was a prophet, then even in their sense, he might break the law of the Sabbath and be guiltless. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. It was easier for the religious leaders to believe that the man was never really blind than to believe that Jesus healed the man. Unable to explain this unprecedented phenomenon of a man born blind being unable to see, they will not admit that it had really happened. The Pharisees questioned the parents of the man born blind. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Is this your son who you say was born blind? The religious leaders asked the parents to verify that the man was truly born blind. The tone of their question implies that they wondered if the parents were part of the same imagined conspiracy. Yet the parents verified, this is our son, and that he was born blind. This should have persuaded the religious leaders that a remarkable man from God was in their midst. 
It did not persuade them, and they continued their hostile interrogation. By what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. The parents could only identify their son that he was born blind. They would not speak to the question of how he was healed because of the threat of excommunication. The Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Ezra 10.8 is an Old Testament example of excommunication. Dodds wrote of the practice in the ancient Jewish world. Of excommunication, there were three degrees. The first lasted for 30 days, then followed a second, a domination, and if impotent, the culprit was punished for 30 days more. And if still, he was laid under the cherim or ban, which was indefinite duration and which entirely cut him off from intercourse with others. He was treated as if he were a, a leper. Many of the rulers in Jerusalem really believed in Jesus, but were afraid to say it because they didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. Wow. Wow. In the modern what I West... love about this, what I love about this, he's telling us we're not going to go to people that have full knowledge of him. Because as he describes this man, he this man only knew Jesus' name. He had no full awareness of who Jesus is. And so the Lord is literally saying to us that we're going to be going to the captive and we're going to be setting the captive free. And these individuals may not have a full awareness of who he is. And we need to be okay with that. Keep going. Many of the rulers in Jerusalem really believed in Jesus, but were afraid to say it because they didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. Um, in the modern Western world, the idea of excommunication means little because it is easy for the excommunicated one to simply go to another church and pretend nothing happened. More common today is what one might call self-excommunication, where believers separate themselves from church worship and life with no good reason. He is of age, ask him. It is instant incentive and normal for parents to protect their children, even when the children are adults. The parents were so frightened by the threat of excommunication that they did all they could to put the attention back upon their son and away from mm. them. <laughs> it is plain that they discerned danger and had no intention of being caught up in it with their son. They empathetic. Oh my God, hold on. The Lord is literally saying in situations where we discern that it's going to be difficulties, that we cannot push it back on somebody else, that we have to stand up in the place that which he's calling us to stand in. And then he says to me, the kingdom suffers violence. Oh. And we have to be okay with the violence that the kingdom suffers.
He says, step forward. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Keep going. The pronouns in the latter part of the verse are empathetic. Who hath opened his eyes? We know not. Ask him. He is of age. He shall speak for himself. The religious leaders interrogate the man born blind now healed by Jesus. The simple testimony of the man born blind. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Give God the glory. This command to the healed man may be a domination to tell the truth, or it may be a command to deny any credit to Jesus in the healing. The words are a form of adjuration to tell the truth. Remember that you are in God's presence and speak as unto him. The man is being told that he has not been completely frank up till now. He has held back something which would show Jesus to be a sinner. We know this man is a sinner. They said this not because Jesus broke the law of God in the Hebrew scriptures. They said this because Jesus did not obey their man-made traditions around the law. They said this despite the evidence, not because of it. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. The man born blind didn't know everything about Jesus, but he did know how Jesus had touched his life. <clears throat> At that moment, it was an era, era group. I can't say the word. It was an argument. <laughs> they could not argue against what Jesus did in this man's life. They take their stand on their preconceived ideas. He on the simple facts that he knows. It was frustrating <laughs> for what happened. I'm just laughing. <laughs> oh, okay. It was frustrating for his interrogators that neither of those statements could be refuted. The former statement was confirmed by the evidence of the parents. The truth of the latter, they could see for themselves. Why not admit the conclusion to which these two facts pointed? <laughs> time to time, Christians are confronted with these questions meant to embarrass or mock questions about some science or some social issue or another. One doesn't have to be an expert in all these things, though the more one knows, the better. More than anything, we may simply say, I don't know about all that, but this I know. Once I was blind, now I see. <laughs> so he's literally saying that when you run into this situation, all you're going to do is point out the obvious. Mm-hmm. You're saying that no matter what, just point out the obvious. Now you don't, if you don't have to be in that position to where you're trying to, you know, say, yeah, and this and then and that, and you don't know what you're talking about. He's just saying, point out the obvious. Praise God. Okay. Keep going. We don't base our faith on our personal experience. 
We base it upon God's truth revealed to us in the Bible. Yet our experience of God's work in our life is an important and persuasive additional support for our faith and the faith of others. To be able to truly claim, though I was blind, now I see, is a powerful argument. The man born blind reacts to the intense questioning. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> Love it. Again, the tone implies a harsh, intense interrogation. They demanded answers from this man who now could see. I told you already, and you did not listen. The man blind showed a simple and profound wisdom in his back and forth with the esteemed and educated religious leaders. If they kept asking the same question, they would keep hearing the same answer. <laughs> so he's literally saying that we should not move away from what we're saying. If they ask the question, you keep giving them the same answer. You don't try to come up with a different answer. You mm -hmm. stay steady to the course. Yes, praise God. Mm. Pointing out the obvious. Each time pointing out the obvious. Praise God. As the mercy of God had given him his sight, so the wisdom of God taught him how to escape the snares laid for his run. Oh, did you guys hear that? Mm. So the wisdom of God will teach us how to escape the snares. He said, step forward. <laughs> awesome. Uh -huh. Do you also want to become his disciples? Intending to or not, the healed man mocked both their prejudice, rejection of Jesus, and proclaimed himself to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you also? <laughs> He now displays unsuspected capacity for ironical repartee. The man did not really expect these men who were so plainly opposed to Jesus were changing their minds, but he was quite ready to bait them. <laughs> After wisely answering the religious leaders, the man is excommunicated. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple but we are Moses's disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered and said to them, why this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone <laughs> is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. 
The religious leaders could not keep from displaying their own proud arrogance and their prejudiced contempt of Jesus, this fellow. Why, this is a marvelous thing. The healed man said this about their unbelief, not about the miracle of Jesus. It was as if he told the religious leaders, your unbelief and ignorance in the face of the evidence is more of a miracle than my cure. <laughs> I mean, this is so funny. This is, uh, I mean, this breaks this down so good that you can clearly see yourself and you can clearly see how he's mm -hmm. empowered by the miracle. It, it, you yeah. can tell he got more than just his sight. He got confidence, like Exactly. Wow. So he's operating in the fullness of Christ as a result of a miracle. So imagine mm. how we are going to operate as Hallelujah. we're dispensing the miracle. Mm, mm, oh mm. my God. Because the Lord, the Lord literally was saying, listen to him, listen to him, listen to him, listen to how he's responding. And he says, and his response was simple. Yeah. But it broke down everything they said. He did not deviate from the same response. He kept coming back with the same response. And the more he spoke, the more they got agitated. But the more... He spoke light into them and they refused to receive the light. But it literally allows us to see how we debate things and he's trying to get us out of that place of being mm. legalist. Legal, very legal. And that's over us, that's over analyzing things that don't make no sense. Doesn't make any sense. Okay, I think you're wrapping up. You got a little bit more. Mm, yes. Um, why, this is a marvelous thing the healed man said about their unbelief, not about the miracle of Jesus. <clears throat> It was as if he told the religious leaders, your unbelief and ignorance in the face of the evidence is more of a miracle than my cure, that you do not know where he is from. His yea is empathetic and may carry some sly irony. You, the religious experts, cannot work out a simple thing like this. <laughs> we know that God does not hear sinners. Um, Isaiah 115 and Psalm 66, 18 are passages that say that God is not obligated to hear the prayer of a sinner. With knowledge of the scriptures and a valid application, the simple man born blind proved that their claim, we know this man is a sinner, was false. As a well-brought-up Jew, the man regards regards it as an axiomatic that a miracle wrought in answer to prayer is proof that its worker is no sinner. No divine help is available for impotent sinners. The man's statement was in one sense true and in another sense false. God is certainly under no obligation 
to hear the prayer of the man or woman in rebellion against him. Yet in his mercy and for his ultimate wise purpose, he may hear the unrepentant sinner. Yet the man's statement was completely true in this case. If Christ had been an imposter, it is not possible to conceive that God would have listened to his prayer and not given him the power to open the blind man's eyes. You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? These religious leaders despise the common people and this man in particular. They were especially angry because he was right and they were wrong. A mortified man will yield to learn of anybody. A little child shall lead him. And they cast him out. The excommunication of the blind man, difficult as it was, turned out to be a good thing because he would be shortly because he would shortly be far more connected to Jesus. The casting out of this man meant his excommunication from his religious rites in temple and in synagogue. The religious leaders treated this man terribly. They abused him. They reviled him. They insulted him. You were completely born in sins. They rejected him. They cast him out. They have had since many followers in their crimes. A false religion supported by the state has, by fire and sword, silenced those whose truth in the end annihilated the system of their opponents. The man born blind and then healed believes on Jesus. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. When he had found him, the religious leaders rejected the man whom Jesus healed. Jesus then made it a point to meet him and receive him. It hurts to be rejected by others, but God has consolation for us in Jesus Christ. If he finds and receives, what does it matter who rejects? He that enjoys the favor of the Son of God will not tremble at the frown of the Sanhedrin. Do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus called on the healed man to fully believe, and he did. Lord, I believe. When the healed man declared his loyalty to Jesus by not denying him before the hostile religious leaders, he was rewarded when Jesus revealed more to himself to him. You have both seen him, and it is he who was talking with you. The question do you believe in the Son of Man, is a summons to commitment. The Greek pronoun, sa, you, used with the verb, makes the inquiry doubtly empathetic. It demanded a personal decision in the face of opposition or rejection. Jesus dealt with this man differently than most. He met his physical need first, then allowed him to endure persecution, then called him to a specific belief. It's good to remember that God may work differently in different lives. <laughs> Some manuscripts have son of man instead of son of God. Both terms point to God's Messiah, 
the one who should be believed and trusted. And he worshiped him. The religious, religious leader said, you can't worship with us at the temple. Jesus said, I will receive your worship. When the man worshiped Jesus, Jesus received the worship. This is something that no man or angel in the Bible does. The fact that Jesus accepted this worship is another proof that Jesus was and is God and that he knew himself to be God. The formerly blind man showed an increasing awareness of Jesus. Jesus is a man. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is my master. I am his disciple. Jesus is from God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is who I trust. Jesus is who I worship. Um, Jesus distinguishes between the blind and the seeing. And Jesus said, <clears throat> for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. For judgment, I have come into this world. John recorded these words of Jesus as part of a larger theme in this gospel, that men were divided over Jesus, with some accepting and some rejecting. This is one way Jesus brought judgment into this world, by being a dividing line. In this sense, Jesus is like the continental divide in the Rocky Mountains, a single place where an entire path is decided. Jesus is the pivot on which human destiny turns. His statements that he had come to judge the world meant that he would be the separating one, the one through whom God would judge. That those who do not see may see. Those who admit their spiritual blindness can find sight in Jesus, but those who see may be blind. That is, those who falsely claim to have spiritual sight will be made blind. They which see not means they who have no spiritual vision, but are conscious of their need of it. And they which see means they who wrongly suppose that they already possess spiritual vision. Those who do not see may see. Those who are conscious of their blindness and grieved on account of it may be relieved, while those who are content with the light they have lose even that. We ought not suffer any person to perish for lack of knowing the gospel. We cannot give men eyes, but we can give them light. In saying those who do not see, Jesus used blindness in a spiritual metaphorical sense of those who cannot see the light and truth of God, especially as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. One may say that this entire chapter paints a picture of how Jesus heals blind souls. We are all spiritually, spiritually blind from birth. Jesus takes the initiative in healing us from blindness. Jesus does a work of creation in us, not reformation. In this work, we must be obedient what Jesus commands. 
Jesus commands us to be washed in the water of baptism. <clears throat> we become a mystery to our former associates, not even seeming to be the same person. We display loyalty to Jesus when we are persecuted, boldly and plainly testifying of his work in our lives and confounding others. We pass from little knowledge to greater knowledge, and this brings us to greater worship and adoration. We never know the name of this man born blind. Jesus is the important one. A true disciple is content to remain anonymous if his Lord gets the glory. Are we blind also? The Pharisees sneered at Jesus, confident in their own spiritual sight, which was blindness, because they could not see the Son of God right in front of them. Take a homely illustration from myself. I used to be very backward in using spectacles for some time because I could almost see without them. I did not wish to be an old gentleman too soon, but now that I cannot read my notes at all without wearing spectacles, I put them on without a moment's hesitation, and I do not care whether you think me old or not. So when a man comes to feel thoroughly guilty, he does not mind depending upon God. If you were blind, you would have no sin. If the Pharisees would admit to their spiritual blindness, they could be forgiven and set free. But because they say, we see, their sin remains. There is a great difference between the one who was blind and knows it and the one who simply shuts his eyes. To be so self-deceived as to shut one's eyes to the light is a desperate state to be in. In the light is there, but if people refuse, avail themselves of it, but rather deliberately reject it, how can they be enlightened? As Jesus said, their sin remains. That's everything, Pastor. So they're the ones that are really blind. Yeah. Oh but they deem, they deem themselves as being the ones who have all the sight, the knowledge, the wisdom, the smarts, the brains, all this other stuff. But it's actually the opposite. And that's why the pastor kept saying that the good, the new that God will always win over the evil because the evil people, they they think they're so righteous that they don't even know that they're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Or they do, but they don't care. Yeah. And yeah, they think that they're prevailing in their actions and in their plans, but really they're losing. Yeah. So they're not even trying to get out of it because they already thought that they already thought that they, they were right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys, I'm back. I'm sorry. Oh, you laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I read that whole thing. <laughs> I was like trying That's to get funny. back on and I just couldn't get back on. And it was my phone. Wasn't my phone was in charge. I just couldn't get back on. That's great. Well, I finished. And I was saying after she read that, I was saying how they're the ones that were the real blind ones. They're not, and they don't even know that they're blind because they think that they're so righteous. And that's why 
evil will always lose because they won't even try to get better because they think they've already arrived when they haven't even, they're not wait, even wait, close. Wait, 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 wait. You don't want to talk about their state because God is pointing this out as this was, was our state. Uh-huh. So you right. don't want to talk mean, about they. He's talking about us. <laughs> you hear me? Okay, but like right now when she was reading that part, though, she's saying about how how they putting him, they kept putting the guy that was really blind and he got his sight back, how he um, kept telling, you know, how God got him out of it because he kept telling, but they they just kept denying it because they, even though the guy was right, they kept denying it because they're not going to... But I hear you, Josie. I'm cutting you off just a, a point to make a point. Uh, well, not to judge this, him. I don't mean not to judge him. Yeah, in this particular state, they believe they were right. Right. They believe that the position they were taking was correct. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand from that particular standpoint, the position we take, we believe we're right in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're dealing with somebody that's frustrating us to no end, we believe that the position we take against them is right. Right. And so it is an opportunity to look at ourselves and really see where we're at. Okay. And, and if you understand, they came with a lot of uh, logic. Yeah, and he used simple words, and a lot of times we get caught up in logic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and rather than just simply understanding the things that God is saying to us, and that how we should be behaving. That's why he kept telling us, "Take a step forward. Take a step forward," meaning walk out of this mm-hmm. and walk into the fullness of what he has for us. Right. And then he just says to me, today you're no longer held in the bondage of your falsities. Hallelujah. Because the thing is too, that's the way that they were brought up and that's all they knew, right? Yeah, but in some some situations we judge based on what we know. Uh Uh-huh. But this even comes back to full circle of asking who was sinning and why was he born blind and how we, it's not just about us thinking we're mightier than other people. It's about us judging situations and judging ourselves and thinking that we're either succeeding or failing. And we are walking blindly when we're trying to make sense of that all without just living in God's uh like I said the new covenant and in his and it being focused on his revelation instead of ours praise be to God you summarized that so beautifully Uh uh-huh yeah and the Holy Spirit just says as you all have taken forward he said don't look back Amen. Yeah. 
it is important that we move into this place. I'm trying to see if he's going to say anything else. He's literally saying to me that Amanda summarized it. And so there's nothing else that needs to be said other than making sure that as he called you forward, that you did in fact come forward into the things that he is calling for. Then you're not no longer going to use logic to try to assess or to understand things because it's beyond what we, how we see things because we only can see clearly if we're looking in the spirit. We only can see clearly if we take the time to assess. And that's what we learned here tonight, that it's so important that we assess things according to the spirit and not look at things from a fleshly perspective. Again, he said to me, it's how we see ourselves. Lord, really, the prayer is that we see ourselves as he sees us. Uh -huh. And that we're no longer seeing the flaws in which have come forth as a result of uh, the first Adam falling. And that we see others the same way that he sees them as well. And that we lend forth the opportunity to help them in their flight. So, Lord, I thank you even now for your word. And I ask that this word continues to resonate on your people's heart as we move into the new year. Lord, I know you always have something great in store for us. And so we look forward to the coming days, but most of all, the coming year. Uh -huh. And we leave our past behind as we walk forward into the new, as you have told us to take a step further. Lord, we embrace your word and we thank you for all you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. Be blessed, you guys. Amen. Can I share one more thing, Pastor? Oh, confirming what oh, you said. Um, it because it again it didn't make full sense to me, but I'm going to stand it, operate in faith, and just share it. You had shared about 2024 being a year of miracles, uh, and that he wants to do things through us. I had asked him recently the same about what 2024 looks like and i saw a vision of a sudden downpour of rain over the land and it was these <laughs> droplets that were falling very quickly they looked small from afar but then i was like the movie bugs life where you're you're yeah. in in the perspective of who we are they were huge and just like yes. washing everything away and i asked him didn't we get a ton of rain last year and I wrote down him saying, this is a spiritual downpour, one that can't be contained. It will break oh open God. barriers and shift things in the natural. It will bring oh about God. great change. Don't be afraid. Look up. Change is coming. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> I'm just going to share it because I was like, okay. 
Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Now, good night, everyone. Okay. Good night. Yes. Good night. 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 If God is building top quality faith in your life through this ministry, we pray that you will partner with us by giving. You can visit our website, tqfm.org. Also, remember to subscribe for more messages like this.